this story didn't happen to me, and it isn't mine directly. It happened to my aunt back in the mid to late 90s, when she was still a teenager. I asked her if I could share the story, and she said that she would prefer that I did, just in case I could help someone else avoid a similar situation. Though, I don't know if anyone would ever be in a similar situation in the current day and age. That said, I'm going to tell this from memory, so if some parts seem inconsistent or a bit confusing, I do apologize. Like I said, this was back when my aunt was a teenager. She was a pretty well-liked young woman, she was a good kid, straight-A student, and she was well-known and held in a high regard throughout the neighborhood. She was known to be a dependable babysitter. She loved spending time with kids, kids loved her, and she had done a good amount of volunteer work over the summer with the daycare at our local church group. Basically, people in the area knew that if they needed someone to take care of their kids for a couple of hours, they could call her and not have to worry about anything. She ended up going into childcare, and she actually owns a local daycare today if that helps to explain how much she loved and loves working with children. This specific situation happened when she got a call from a couple a few blocks away. It was the expected story. They wanted to have a date night and needed someone to watch their young daughter for a few hours. They said they would pay her $10 an hour to watch her from 5 to 11. My aunt agreed, and everything seemed like it was pretty standard. Now, this was back in the 90s. Almost no one had a cell phone, the internet wasn't really a big thing, and a lot of people just trusted people in their neighborhood, based solely on the fact that they were in the neighborhood. It was a totally different time from today, where we're way more protected in our everyday lives. My aunt and grandparents didn't know anything about this couple, which wasn't out of the ordinary at all. And while this situation didn't seem too crazy, things got strange pretty much right off the bat. My grandfather dropped my aunt off, and she knocked on the door, but at first, nobody answered. She stood there for a few moments and knocked again. After a few more minutes, the man of the house did finally answer the door. He said that he apologized for not hearing her knock sooner, and that he was in the bathroom getting things ready. After that, my aunt said that she entered the house and noticed that it was incredibly clean, and also minimalist. The living room was pretty much just an old couch, a chair, and a television. There was a lamp in the corner for light, but that was it. There were no pictures, no toys, nothing to indicate that this family had a young child or was even a family at all. She ignored this, and thought maybe they just didn't have much in ways of money, and she turned to ask the man about the daughter. The basics, really. Name, emergency contact information, schedule, and any rules that she needed to abide by. She said that, at first, the man had a look about his face that made it seem like he was nervous. Like, he was trying to think of an answer to the questions right there on the spot. After a few moments, he cleared his throat and responded. Uh, Her name is Abigail. If there's an emergency, call my mother. Her phone number is on the fridge. Her name is Beth. 
Uh, scheduling and rules won't really be an issue. Abigail's too young to do anything, and she'll most likely be asleep the whole night in her crib. At this point, my aunt had a few things click for her. There weren't any toys because Abigail was still a newborn. This could also explain the lack of pictures on the wall of the family. She nodded and told him that she understood, and asked if Abigail had a feeding schedule and asked if they were trying to keep things on a strict timeline. And she said at this point, the man just shook his head and told her not to bother Abigail while she slept, and that if she didn't wake up crying, to just let her sleep. Obviously, my aunt was a bit confused. When you have a baby that young, you typically don't just let them sleep. You keep them on a schedule and keep things consistent. But she was also doing this based on the parents' terms, so she didn't fight or argue about it. After a few moments of talking, the man said something that caught my aunt off guard. He said something along the lines of, uh, I know you probably had a long day at school, and you'll probably want to take a shower at some point. If you do, the shower's upstairs, a second door on the left. Feel free to uh, please use it if you need to. So, how many weird red flags is this at this point? Three? Well, there was another that happened immediately after this comment. After insisting that she could take a shower, the man said that they needed to go and thanked her for her time watching their daughter. He then opened the front door, got in the car, and started to drive off, leaving my aunt there alone with Abigail. It may not be obvious what that red flag was in that situation, but my aunt immediately realized that something was off. At no point did the mother of the child come out of any room in the house. She hadn't met her, and the man just left without her. At this point, it seems like maybe there wasn't a mother in this situation, but again, my aunt thought that maybe she didn't quite understand it. Maybe the man had to pick her up from work. Maybe they were meeting up somewhere. So she let it go and just sat on the couch to watch some TV. She sat there for a little while and just watched whatever was on. But after a while, she says that something didn't feel right. Which, yeah, obviously. She said that something in her told her that she should check on Abigail, even though the father said that she didn't need to. So she got up and started up the stairs and realized that she didn't know which room was Abigail's. There were two doors on the left and one on the right. She knew the second door on the left was the bathroom, <laughs> so she checked the first one on the left. It was a small bedroom, but it looked like it could have been a bedroom, but there was no bed. She said the room was an absolute mess with trash everywhere, and off to the side was a small desk with an old computer sitting on it. Since that wasn't the bedroom... She assumed that maybe Abigail's crib was in the master bedroom. She went over to the other room and opened the door, only to find nothing but a mattress and a box spring on the floor and a single dresser. She looked in that room. There was no crib. There was no indication of a small child, just the bed and the dresser. Much like the living room, and in complete contrast to the other room, it was completely clean. It was at this point that a few things became a little more clear. One, this guy was a bit off his rocker, putting it lightly. Two, there was no daughter. 
Abigail did not exist and she was babysitting a non-existent child. And three, this guy's insistence that she take a shower it was all the more creepy by the fact that the first two things were true. She closed the door and she went back downstairs. Then she grabbed their phone and called her house. She explained to her dad that there was no baby there and told him about how weird the guy was being. My grandpa told her that he would drive over and park on the street and wait for the guy to get back to make sure that nothing else happened. About four or five hours later, the guy came back and his creepy vibes escalated. The first thing that he asked her was if she had taken the shower. She told him that she hadn't and said that he seemed legitimately upset about the fact to the point where he actually asked her why she hadn't. She said that she just didn't need to, and moved on to telling him that Abigail was quiet all night, and that she needed to get going now that he was home. When she went to leave, she said that he stepped to the door and told her that she didn't need to rush out, and that the night was still young. She said he pretty much turned the skeeve up to 11 at this point, and was looking her up and down, and telling her that she could make herself comfortable if she wanted to. She looked at him and told him directly that she had already called her dad and that he was just sitting outside, waiting for her to come out, and that he would likely be coming up to the door if she didn't go. For a moment, he seemed to be sizing her up and trying to determine if she was lying, but eventually relented, saying something like, uh, well, we wouldn't want to keep him waiting. He opened the door, my aunt walked out, and he quickly shut the door behind her. She took off over to my grandpa's car and got in quickly before she realized that, in everything that had just happened, he didn't even pay her for her time. Honestly, the money didn't matter to her. She just wanted to get home. My aunt said that, she explained everything to my grandfather, and while he believed that this guy was a creep, he said he hadn't technically done anything illegal or wrong, so there wasn't much that could be done. Even so, my aunt didn't babysit for anyone that wasn't an immediate neighbor or family member after that, and she holds on to the thought that, had my grandfather not already been parked outside and waiting, things would have gone much much worse. This all happened back when I was 15 years old and was a bit of a socially awkward teen. I didn't have many friends and I didn't really socialize a whole lot beyond the basic social media stuff so I would sometimes watch my cousins for a few bucks every now and then. That said, and because I had some experience watching kids, my dad's friend, Alex, asked him if I would be able to help out during the summer break. Alex was in his mid-thirties, and was now a single father to a six-year-old son named Max. His wife, Sherry, had passed away due to some sort of heart complication something that wasn't diagnosed and took her very suddenly. Because of this, Alex was basically killing himself working two jobs to keep food on the table and to keep the lights on. When this all happened, summer break had just started, 
So, Alex was in a situation where he needed someone to watch Max all day, but obviously didn't have the money to pay for any sort of childcare for 12 plus hours a day, 5 to 6 days a week. And this is where I came into the picture. My dad had mentioned to me that if I took up watching Max over the summer, he would pay me $50 a week. He knew that Alex couldn't afford it, but we were well off enough that he could cover it for him. I was 15, like I said, so $50 a week, $200 a month for the summer? You could bet that I was going to take that deal. Plus, I always thought Max was adorable, and I knew he was a good kid, so really, it was win-win. The first day that I was watching Max, I got there early and Alex hadn't yet left for work. He was telling me all the basic rules, and that there were chicken nuggets for his lunch in the freezer, and basically all the things that you would expect from a parent. Then, he went into how much he appreciated me doing this for free, and that he was sorry that he was taking my summer from me. I explained to him that I really didn't have any plans, and I loved Max, so it was really not a big deal to me. He then went into how his sister was watching him after school, but she basically told him that she wasn't willing to watch him for the entire day if he wasn't going to pay her. To me, that was a bit shocking. It was surprising to me that a family member wasn't willing to help out, especially with Alex's current situation. I reassured him that I was happy to help, and that I was sorry that he was going through all that he was. He left for work, and I sat on the couch and turned on the TV. Max was still asleep. He wasn't likely to wake up for a few hours, honestly. Watching Max for the first few days was pretty normal. My dad would drop me off in the morning, I would doze off on the couch watching TV until Max woke up, and then I would make him breakfast. We'd watch some movies, play some games, and just have a good time until his dad got home. Honestly, I was really happy with it overall, and I thought it was going to just be a great summer. Then, at some point in the second week, I think, it was early in the morning and I was still asleep on the couch, and I heard a crash come from the kitchen. I quickly sat up and saw Max in the kitchen, looking like he was absolutely petrified when he saw that I was awake. He just stared at me with a bright red face. I saw him in his pajamas, cereal and milk on the floor, and a bowl sitting upside down next to him. It was pretty clear what happened, but for some reason, Max screamed as loud as he could and ran through the hallway, into his room, and then slammed the door while screeching in tears. He kept yelling that he was really sorry over and over and over again while shrieking in tears. I was legitimately confused. I had no idea what was going on. He had spilled his cereal, and while he wasn't supposed to be getting his own breakfast like that for this very reason, I wasn't upset or anything, but he was screaming like crazy. I got up and went back to his room and knocked on the door, asking him what was wrong. He was refusing to answer me, and he just kept yelling that he was sorry. I went in, and I knelt down to talk to him, 
I told him it was okay and that we just needed to clean up the mess. I told him that it wasn't a big deal and that he didn't need to freak out. At first, he didn't seem like he trusted me, but he eventually took a deep breath, said okay, and we went out and cleaned up the mess. We went through the rest of the day like normal. I didn't push it with him and thought maybe he was just in a weird mood. Then, about a week later, we were having fun and he wanted to paint. I thought that sounded like a good time, so I got his kid paints and paper set up in the kitchen. We were just, again, having fun making random paintings when he accidentally spilled the water he was cleaning the brush with on the floor. Once again, his face turned red, and he went absolutely crazy with his crying and screaming, and then he tried to run to his room. It was literally the same situation as a few days prior, but this time, I was able to get a hold of him and stop him. The look in his eyes was legitimate horror. As he was belting out his apologies at the top of his lungs, with tears pouring out of his eyes. I told him to calm down, and that it wasn't a big deal, and we would just go ahead and get it cleaned up and finish our paintings. Once again, he looked like he didn't trust me, and like I was going to do something more than just clean up and move on. I told him to breathe, and that he needed to calm down because everything was okay. After a few moments, he nodded, took a deep breath, and told me that it was okay. At this point, I felt like I needed to get to the bottom of this. Part of me was worried that maybe it was Alex doing something to make him act like this, but honestly, he seemed like such a good guy that I couldn't see him doing it. I sat him down on the couch... I knelt in front of him, and then I asked why he got so scared when he spilled the water. He told me it was because he had made a mess. I told him that it wasn't a big deal when he made a mess, we would just have to clean it up and be more careful. Then, I asked why he thought it was such a big deal. At first, he didn't seem to want to tell me, but eventually, he started talking about it. He said that, when he made a mess at Aunt Marie's house, he got punished. In my eyes, punishing a kid would be sending them to their room or taking away something for a period of time, but obviously something much worse was going on over at the aunt's house. I was a bit nervous, but I eventually asked him what his aunt would do when he got into trouble. What he told me made me sick. Apparently, when he got in trouble over at his aunt's house, she was verbally abusive. She yelled at him, and he didn't like the yelling. When it got worse, he told me that when he did something bad, after yelling at him, she would seriously shut him in the dryer. She would put him in the dryer and shut the door, holding it shut until he stopped crying. He said that when he made a mess while I was watching him, he thought I was going to put him in the dryer and shut him in, which is why he ran to his room and was telling me how sorry he was. I was shocked. <laughs> I told him I would never do that and that he didn't have to worry about that ever happening with me, to which he said that he liked me more than his aunt and gave me a hug. I honestly wanted to cry when this happened, but... I just told him it was okay, and we went back to painting. When Alex got home, 
I asked him if I could talk to him. I explained what Max had told me about his aunt, and Alex was just as appalled as I was. He told me that he had no idea this was happening. He just thought Max didn't like it over there because his cousins were kind of brats. There was not much more to this story, honestly. I watched Max the whole summer, and then he came over to our house after school when we went back. Alex was able to get his life together, and he got remarried, and they're a happy family now. Max is 11 now, and he's a smart kid. And I don't think he really remembers what happened back then. From what I know, Alex confronted his sister about the situation, and she claimed that it never happened. But I'm pretty confident that Alex believed his son. I certainly did. To the best of my knowledge... He hasn't spoken to Marie since he talked to her about it, and I don't blame him. I just hope that whatever Marie did doesn't scar Max, and that he grows up to be a normal and happy person. When I was in high school, I used to watch my two baby nephews, Ben and Sammy, a few times a week over at my brother Terrence's house. My brother was a pretty chill guy, and I loved spending time with my little nephews, so really it wasn't that big of a deal to me to lose a few nights every week. They were still pretty young, and were still in that age range where they could be easily entertained by Spongebob and Chicken Nuggets, while I messed around with my phone or my DS. It was really just like I had a couple younger brothers that needed my attention every now and then, and I loved it. My brother had always been a good kid, but as he got a bit older, he ended up getting in with the wrong crowd and fell in love with a woman that was a terrible influence on him, Kaylee. Kaylee was a user, and I mean of both people and substance. Unfortunately, Terrence wanted to see the best in her, and decided that she was worth his time. They ended up getting together, but not married, and had two kids together, Ben and Sammy. At some point after Sammy's first birthday, Kaylee got picked up for attempting to shoplift from a big box store, and then got her basic misdemeanor charge escalated to a pretty hefty felony when the police found a significant amount of methamphetamine in her purse. Like, enough for her to be charged with intent to distribute. All of this is important, because it's what left my brother in charge of two young boys as a single father, and is why I had to watch them several times a week while he worked his second job. Now, this ritual of him working nights and me watching them had been going on for around six months at this point, and without issue. And with Kaylee in prison for years, I thought it would just keep going and being a smooth situation. I thought wrong. It was a pretty normal Tuesday night at Terrence's house. I was there, watching the boys, and they were watching some cartoons while I was making dinner. When I heard a knock on the front door... I wasn't expecting anyone, so I thought maybe it was an Amazon package or something, just knocking to let us know that it was delivered. I kept making dinner and I ignored it for a moment, 
and then I heard the doorbell ring. At this point, Ben walks in the room to tell me that Aunt Becca was at the door. Rebecca, or Aunt Becca, was Kaylee's sister, and she was just as bad as, if not worse, than Kaylee. On top of that, Terrence had a no-contact order against her. She wasn't supposed to be there, and she wasn't supposed to be anywhere near the kids. I told Ben to take Sammy up into his room and to stay there, and that I would be up in a moment. Then, I sent a quick message to Terrence that basically said, Rebecca is at the door, telling her to leave. Then I unlock the door, but keep the chain connected, and open the door slightly, asking if I can help her. She stares at me for a second, then huffs and lets out a snide chuckle. (laughs) I'm here to see my nephews. Where's Terrence? I tell her that Terrence isn't there, and that she would need to come back another time to talk to him about the situation. She tells me that I need to let her in and see her nephews right then and there. At this point, Terrence is calling me, so I put the phone on speaker and tell him that I was just informing Rebecca that she needed to leave. She starts yelling at me and then at the phone, saying that she has a right to see her family and that he can't keep them from her. He calmly but directly says, Rebecca, you need to leave. If you're not gone in three minutes, my brother will be calling the police and telling them that you're currently violating a restraining order. You aren't supposed to be anywhere near my sons, and you aren't supposed to be on my property. Phil, if she's not gone in three minutes, call the cops. I agreed. He said to call him back and let him know what was going on, and that he would be home soon. Then he hung up. At this point, Rebecca is screaming at me about how I'm ruining her life and calling me every single derogatory and racist name that she can pull out of her mouth. I once again firmly tell her to leave and go to shut the door. She tries to push her hand in the gap to stop it from closing, but I wasn't having it. I kept pushing the door against her fingers. If she was going to try to force her way in, then I was going to use force to keep her out. After a few seconds of what I'm assuming was tremendous pain, she pulls her fingers back and I slam the door, locking the deadbolt and the knob. She then starts yelling about how she's going to kill me and how I'm going to regret everything. I give her the full three minutes, and by the end of it, she's in her car and she is driving off. So I text Terrence to let him know that she's gone, but that she was being incredibly violent with her words. He tells me again that if I see her or a car that looks like hers drive by at all, that I needed to call the cops immediately and tell them what happened. I agree, and we move on with the rest of the night. I give the boys their food, they're happy and full, and Ben asks if they can go play in their room. I tell them it was fine, and honestly, my mind was on the possibility of Rebecca coming back, so it was best that they were in their room just in case. After about an hour of me sitting and watching Spongebob by myself, and listening to the boys play upstairs, I get up to go and check on them, and no sooner than I stood up, I hear what sounds like a loud smack on the front door, then the sound of glass breaking. I duck and I freak out. I grab my phone and run upstairs into my nephew's room. I shut the door and I call 911 immediately. 
Honestly, a good portion of this is kind of a blur. I don't recall the phone call really. I think a lot of what I said to them was pure instinct and a lot of my action was just pure adrenaline. I thought that this crazy woman was seriously trying to break into the house to get to us. And I honestly thought that there was a high possibility I was going to be killed and my nephews kidnapped. After standing in the room with my back against the door for several moments and telling the 911 operator about the situation, she said the police would be there within a few minutes and to stay in the room. What I hated the most about this was that my nephews were just looking at me. Sammy was too young to process what was going on beyond me being in the room to play with them, and Ben was just old enough to know that I was scared of something but not know what. So I'm sitting there on the floor and just waiting, telling the boys to go back to playing. <laughs> they do, and I'm holding back tears, just waiting for what felt like an eternity for the police to arrive. In reality, it was nine minutes, but it felt like an hour. When I heard the police announce themselves, I told the boys to stay in the room and that I would be right back. I went out there and there were two officers standing at the door with their guns drawn and several more cars in front of the house with their spotlights shining around the area. I let the officers in. They asked me if I was okay and if anyone else was in the house. I told them that I was watching my nephews and that the person that did this was likely their aunt. I explained the night to them, and they asked me that I contact Terrence and see if he could come home. Long story short, and to skip over the conversation with the police, Rebecca had come back and thrown a brick through the garage window, and through the bay window in the living room. Even creepier, she had thrown a dead squirrel at the front door, and that's what the initial thump was before the bricks came through the windows. This woman had lost her mind, and was legitimately trying to show how crazy she was, and while I was scared enough to pretty much piss my pants, I was horrified at the thought that she would have been willing to throw a brick through the living room window where one of her nephews seriously could have been sitting. She could have killed one of them easily if they had been in the room. Thankfully, it was just me, and they were upstairs playing. The police took the statement and they put out a call for her, and they asked the neighbors if they'd seen anything and all that. My brother bought security cameras for the windows after that night, just in case. But from what I recall, she was picked up by the cops and won't be getting out anytime soon. So, Rebecca, the absolutely insane woman that happens to be my nephew's aunt, I hope you and I never meet again. This may not be a standard babysitting horror story, but it's still worth sharing, and there are actually a few things that I want to share. I may send more over to you later if you want, but these are some of the worst. I've been working as a lead at a daycare for around 13 years now, and it's almost entertaining how unfiltered kids are when you get them talking and how much they imitate those that they're around frequently. What kind of sucks about this is that 
when a kid says something that's iffy or questionable, we have to contact CPS by law and report what happened. One instance of this happening actually happened pretty recently with a little boy that we'll call Jim. One day, during the morning, while the kids were playing, I was making coffee and Jim walked up to me. I was putting my creamer and sugar in the mug, and Jim asked me if I liked to smell the sugar. I was a bit confused at first. Why would I smell sugar? I told him I wasn't sure what he was talking about, and then he tells me that, sometimes, while he's at his uncle's house, his uncle likes to smell the sugar. I asked what he meant, and he tells me that his uncle likes to smell the sugar off of the table with a straw. Come to find out, while his uncle was watching him, he decided it would be okay to do cocaine in front of him and just tell him it's sugar. Another one that's worth talking about happened with a little girl in my group named Sasha. Sasha was a sweetheart. She was incredibly quiet and soft-spoken, but she was also one of the nicest little girls that I'd ever met. One day, her dad brought her in and she had a bruise on her face. Obviously, my mind went to a dark place, and I told her dad that I had to legally ask what had happened. He tells me that he didn't know. She had the bruise when he had gotten home from work the night before, and she wouldn't tell him no matter how much he asked. He seemed sincere, and said that he thinks that she fell or something when she was doing something she wasn't supposed to, and maybe she didn't want to get in trouble. I accepted his response, and we went on with the day. Around lunch, she said she wanted to tell me something and asked if I could keep a secret. I told her that I could, of course, and asked what was wrong. She told me that she was sorry that she had lied to her dad about her bruise, but she didn't want him mad because his girlfriend had given it to her. Apparently, her dad's girlfriend was verbally abusive and had now become physically abusive to this little girl, and the dad was none the wiser. I, of course, told him, and I filled out my report to the protective services. I felt bad for the dad, but I had no choice in the matter. The last one is probably the saddest one for me, and it happened when I was still fairly new to working at a daycare. There was a little boy that attended our daycare named Adam. Adam was incredibly shy, but absolutely loved being in the daycare because of how much he got to socialize. I know that that sounds like opposites, but it was more like he was shy until he got to know you. Adam's father was a police officer for the city and was a fairly well-respected guy. Adam was very clearly proud of how much of a hero his dad was, and he would talk about it a lot. Then, one day, while I was sitting at one of the tables, I heard Adam say something about how people are coming to get him. I asked him what he meant, and he said that, Daddy says that some of the bad people he arrested are going to come get us. I was just kind of like, okay. And I said I wanted to hear more, 
And then he goes on to say that his dad had put duct tape over his windows and put a camera in his bedroom to watch him and make sure the bad guys didn't break in. I really didn't know what to do with this, and I probably shouldn't have, but I actually contacted his father about the situation. I was asking him if everything was alright at home because Adam was saying things that didn't really make sense. His dad laughed and just said that Adam had a wild imagination. (laughs) I agreed, said it was okay, and hung up. Unfortunately, I have no idea what happened after that, because Adam never came back to the daycare. His father had resigned, and apparently they moved away within the next week. I don't know if this was for protection, or if his dad was legitimately paranoid. So, yeah, kids can say some crazy things, and I have more that I might send your way, but I just wanted to use this as an opportunity to say that kids do not have filters. If you tell your kids something, or if you do something in front of your kids, they will 100% repeat it, or they will happily go on telling someone else all about it. Hey there, friend-a-roonies. I hope you enjoyed this collection of stories. If you did, and would like to show me that you liked it, please hit that thumbs up button, hit that subscribe button, hit the bell icon, and leave me a comment letting me know which one was your favorite. You can also support the channel further by supporting me on Patreon or channel memberships. All members and patrons get early access to all of my content. Sound good? Check it out if you're interested. You can also follow me on all my social media platforms, links in the description below, and so forth and so on. Yeah. (laughs) I hope you have a beautiful day, and I hope I'll see you on the next video. But until then, sleep well.